What if there was a different way to live and work beyond the hustle and hype, beyond the never ending race to get more, do more, be more, a way that's nourishing, grounded, creative, and aligned with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Alchemy in Action with me, your host, Amanda Cook. In each episode, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Wellpreneur Online Podcast, where we're all building our wellness businesses online. I'm your host, Amanda Cook, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to spend some time with me and learn how to amplify our presence in the online world. So this week, I've got an interview that's a little bit different for you. By popular demand, I'm actually interviewing somebody that works in a nonprofit. So I'm interviewing Peggy Sherry from Faces of Courage. Faces of Courage runs extremely popular cancer camps in Tampa, Florida. And Peggy's going to share with us how they do their marketing, how they fill their camps, which sell out within hours of announcing them, and just generally share with us the experience about working for a nonprofit, especially around things that are might be really uncomfortable, like having to ask for money, right? And Peggy's going to share all of that with us because she's been in the nonprofit world for over a decade. Now, I know a lot of us in health and wellness are really motivated by helping other people and working for a nonprofit can be part of that and it can be really tempting. And so I really appreciate Peggy's honesty in talking about what it's actually been like. And actually, as you'll see, it's not really that different from running a business because you still have to go out and ask for the sale. You still have to go out and get people on board with your vision to get them to donate to your charity and to get people to come to your events. So I think if you're interested at all in the nonprofit space and especially in getting people to come to your events and workshops, then you're definitely going to like this conversation that I've had with Peggy. But before we get into that, I just wanted to share with you something that I'm obsessed with at the moment, which is this book called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying by Marie Kondo. And okay, this isn't a business book. It's actually a decluttering book. But I swear that this book, if you enjoy this book like I have, it's going to have an impact on your business. This book is actually written by Marie Kondo, who's a Japanese organizer and declutterer. And so I have read loads of books on decluttering and on feng shui and on trying to organize your space for optimum productivity. And none of them have really worked for me, right? It's all about like having three piles of stuff and what you're going to donate and what's a maybe and putting things in a box and letting it sit around for six months and seeing if you miss it. It's all these really complicated systems. And I've always kind of gotten started, but never really worked my way through my entire house. Seriously, this book If you have any issues with clutter or would just like to live a more simplified life where you're surrounded by things that you love and things that bring you pleasure and things of beauty, then I think you're really going to like this Japanese approach to decluttering. Basically, it's super simple. It all comes down to asking yourself, does this bring me joy? That's it. You pick up each item and you ask yourself, does this bring me joy? Now, when I first read that, I thought, there's no way this works. Like, that just sounds completely crazy. Like, how is a shirt going to bring me joy, right? How does this pencil holder bring me joy? But actually, if you get into it, so if you just kind of go with the woo-woo-ness for a little bit and get into it and you hold each item and you say, does this bring me joy? You instantly know inside, do you love it or do you not love it? And that applies to socks, it applies to tights, it applies to shirts and sweaters, it applies to books. I thought I couldn't ever get rid of books because I love books. 
And you have this thing where you think, well, maybe I'll look back at that book someday. Actually, she gets rid of all of that in her chapter on books. And it really comes down to, does this book bring you joy? Do you still love it? And if you don't, then you can just let it go. Anyway, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but if you feel like as we're moving into spring, you could really use some simplification and simplifying your house and simplifying your office and just bringing a little more space into your life, then definitely check out this book. I'll put a link in the show notes. I'll actually use an Amazon affiliate link in the show notes. So if you want to get it and you want to support the Wellpreneur Online Podcast, it would be awesome if you click through my affiliate link. But either way, if this is at all appealing to you, definitely check out that book because I love it. I've been recommending it to people all over Facebook and um, they seem to like it too. So check it out. The life-changing magic of tidying. Okay, so you'll be able to get all the links of everything that we talk about in this episode back in the show notes, which are at wellpreneuronline.com slash 59. But now let's start our conversation with Peggy Sherry of Faces of Courage. Hi, Peggy. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me, Amanda. So Peggy, you're the first person that's running a charity that we've actually had on the podcast. And I've had lots of inquiries from listeners asking about just working in a nonprofit in general and how that they could work within a nonprofit and market it online. And also the thing that I wanted to talk to you about is running and filling workshops from your camp experience. So could you start off by just telling us a little bit about what Faces of Courage does and about your cancer camps? What we do is we do day outings and weekend camps for women and children diagnosed with any type of cancer. All of our programs are free. And the weekend camps, we rent a facility that's close to us in Tampa. Our next camp is in three weeks, and that's our Women of Color Cancer Camp. And we will have 80 women from all over the United States that will come spend a weekend. And we do traditional camping things like canoeing, kayaking, fishing, and archery. But we also do yoga and tai chi and qigong and massage and bring in different medical speakers and makeovers and ice cream socials. It's just a wonderful weekend for survivors to be around other people that are facing the same difficult decisions. How did those get started? It was a real fluke thing that I ended up running a cancer camp that was based out of New York City. And then about four years into it, I got cancer. And six months later, I got cancer a second time. And they decided that I couldn't run the the programs down in Florida, um, being the only person here. So they closed the program in Florida. And at that time, I had 700 families and they started contacting me at home going, when's the next camp? And I'm like, you don't get it. I don't work for those people any longer. And they're like, we don't even know who they are. We only know you. And one of my sponsors said, listen, Peggy, they don't care what name's on the door. They just want to go to camp. And at that time, then we started a 501c3 and that was called Face of Courage. And here we are 11 years later. Wow. And what I loved is that you told me that they sell out within hours, these camps. The programs do. We open up registration at midnight, especially for the adult camps, because if you really want to come, then you're going to set your alarm and you're going to get up and you're going to get online and register. And for the past 10 years, our women's camp that's held in September has always filled plus the waiting list within one hour. Wow. So from a health practitioner's perspective, having a weekend event or even a one hour workshop fill up within hours is like a dream, right? So many people struggle to get people to come to their events and their workshops and their retreats. 
So what is it, do you think, about the camps that makes it so in demand? I think that it is something that's not being fulfilled in every community. You know, there's different support groups and a lot of times cancer support groups and the majority of them are breast cancer support groups get some people who are really stuck in their victimhood and and they become very depressing if you don't have the right leaders running them. And we've always been, you know, we've always touted ourselves as the fun part of cancer, that we really are there to provide 80% of what the women want. And then I educate them the other 20% of the time. So I'm really meeting the needs and the likes and the wants of the patients before they meet my needs of wanting to educate them. That's really interesting. It's kind of the 80-20 rule, which you hear about a lot in business. Tell me a bit more about that. So you said you do 80% of what they like and then 20% of the education. Yeah, I think that it's really important that if you expect someone, let's say we're working with women and they're working a full work week and they have children and they have pets and you want them to come up for a weekend, then they've got to find a sitter. They've got to put it on their calendar. They've got to get someone to take care of the animals and do all the jobs that they normally do in their households. And actually, 50% of the women diagnosed with cancer end in divorce. And Mm -hmm. so these are single parent households. And so it takes a lot for them to really want to show up. And as much as we'd love to educate them 100% of the time, they're not going to show up if we're just cramming information down their throat. It really has to be an environment that they want to come to. Mm -hmm. And it's worked for us. So when you're promoting the cancer camps, then what are you saying that they're going to get out of the weekend? What are their benefits for attending? It's fun food and friendship, the three F's. And it's free. There's four Mm -hmm. F's. So we don't pay for their transportation. So the next camp that I have, I have 10 women flying from all over the United States. And we try to make it as easy as possible. We don't make them get notes from their doctors. We will pick them up at the airport. We'll return them to the airport. If they're flying in, we'll we'll provide their budding for them, which the locals bring their own um, sheets and blankets and pillows. We just try to make it as barrier-free as we can. Because I'm thinking when you said that about how if you were trying to cram information down their throats all weekend, nobody would come. And I think in the health and wellness world, a lot of times, because we have all this information about what healthy foods to eat or, you know, different lifestyle tips, I think it can be so tempting to just give all that information to everybody in one big long lecture or in one intense evening, you know. But actually, what you said is that that's just overwhelming for people. And it's not fun because people have their lives. So you have to wrap the information in community building and other things that people really want to go to. When we were doing some of the evening events with the women, what we were doing was breaking the events up into thirds. And so the first third, you may be getting a massage. And the second third, you may be hearing from the latest speaker on, on what other, whatever subject is most relevant in cancer research right now. And then the third one might be an art project. And so we were educating them one third at the time. We were giving them something art expressive one third of the time. And then we were giving them massages and and pampering one third of the time. And we'd get 75 women to sign up immediately and 80 to 100 percent would show up. 
Wow. It's fantastic. I mean, that's such a high response rate compared to what a lot of us are, I think, are experiencing when we run our own workshops. Do you think that's just the nature of, I don't know what you call it. I mean, just the the severity of having cancer and you want to connect with other people or do you think it's just, you know, is it a cancer thing or is it No, I don't think it's a cancer thing per se. I work with a local cancer center here on some of their committees. And, you know, the scientists get all in their head that they have to do health fairs. And you'll see them do massive media outreach and and invitations and and Facebook and Twittering. And what they're getting is a 5% show up rate. Mm. And you're putting a lot of money into this very low show up rate. And it's just, I think that we need a new approach. Yeah. Tell us about that. If somebody out there wants to work with, I actually know several health coaches that are interested in working with people with cancer. So what is that new approach that you think that's so much more effective? I think it's giving them something they want. We're we're looking to launch like a men's cancer program. And we already know that men don't want to talk about their feelings. And we already know that they don't want to bond over a weekend. They want to do short-term things, but they really need to discuss their disease. And so what we're trying to launch this year is deep sea fishing for men. Mm -hmm. And what that entails when they're deep sea fishing in Tampa is it's a 20 mile trip out, which is two hours on a boat. And then they fish and then they come back. Well, that two hour trip that they're going out, I've got them. They can't go anywhere. And so that's a great time for speakers to come in and talk about the ladies in prostate cancer or what checkups they need to maintain their health or what kind of nutrition. And then you let them go out and you let them deep sea fish and then you you serve them some snacks. And on the way back for the next two hours, they're going to start to bond and connect and make their own support system. And I just think that if we start thinking outside the box and say, what is it that will make people show up? I think that this is something that anyone would show up to Mm -hmm. to do. Well, yeah, it just sounds fun. Yeah. And I think (laughs) that that's what it is, is that we have to provide fun, enriching places where people can come to learn not only just to survive cancer, but to thrive after cancer. Yeah, that's one thing I was wondering is that when you're positioning, like if people are looking at starting a support group or doing like talks or pamper days or something for people that have cancer, for example, I guess that you have to really watch that balance so you don't really go into negativity and just start talking, just have it be such a downer. Yeah, it's very easy to get morose. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that is what might put people off is that it just seems like it might be, yeah, a lecture. And, and focusing on the negative instead of what you said, which is really thriving. Well, and I think that one of the things that we also try to offer at the different camps is to bring in things that people may not have thought about. They might not have thought about massage. They might not have thought about Reiki. They might not have thought about doing their makeup differently since their eyebrows and eyelashes have fallen out and they have no hair. They might not have thought about doing a Qigong or trying some different juicing. And so we try to get a little bit of new information, guided visualization, or anything that might bring them some comfort during or after their treatment. Right. Oh, and I love that because I would imagine if you just had an event that's like, come learn about Qigong or something, people probably wouldn't come, I would guess, because they wouldn't know what it was. And it just, right. it doesn't seem related to them. But if you're giving them this whole experience, then you can put in those little doses of the things that you know they need. They might, once they 
experience it, they might say, oh my gosh, this is the thing for me, but they never would have come if that's how you position the event. Right. Absolutely. So I'm curious how you promote the programs then. Do you do a lot of online marketing? Do you have an email list? Do you do referrals or or what do you do to promote them? We have online email lists that anyone can sign up for. And we actually have three. We have the children's cancer camp email list. We have the adult camps And then we have the volunteer email list. We have an active volunteer group of 1,400. I go out, I speak a lot at area chambers and rotary in different social organizations. But when it comes time to sign up for camp, I actually only send one or two emails. They are generally, hi, camp is open and sorry, camp is closed. I think that we're so blessed that people will share us through Facebook and they will get on the different survivor blogs and let people know that these programs are open for registration. So it's a very fast process. We don't spend a lot of time marketing it. Wow. So it's really your members that are spreading the word. It is. And I have doctors that refer their patients. So if I send out a notice saying that registration is now open, some of the doctor's offices will say, hey, send us a flyer. We'll print the flyer and we'll hand it out to our survivors as they're coming into clinic. If you were talking to somebody, there's a lot of listeners out there that are interested in starting some kind of support group or starting these events to support people that have a certain condition. What kind of tips would you give to them when they're just getting started? You know what? It is It's almost like a lifelong commitment to do this. I think the smartest thing you can do is find an area nonprofit that you would be able to work under their 501c3 to test the waters before you jump into it. A lot of people think that, oh, they're going to start a 501c3 nonprofit and that people will give them grants in order to complete, you know, their dream. And the truth is, is that you don't get grants until your nonprofit is showing that they're doing the work for up to two years. And so if you don't start with your own nest egg, like I said, if you want to start a $1 million nonprofit, then you better start with five. You need to have a nest egg. You need to have some kind of way of bringing in the income to pay for the nonprofit in the first two years until you're able to write grants. So you're saying rather than starting your own nonprofit, maybe find an existing nonprofit that you could work through. Absolutely. Right. So how that's really interesting. So how would you, since you are a nonprofit, actually, you must have people approach you all the time. So what would you suggest if, you know, a health coach or a nutritionist wants to go out and start working with a nonprofit? How should they approach them? I think that what you need to do is to write out a business plan of what exactly you want to do and what your credentials are and where you think you'll pull people from. And then I'll just give an example that maybe you are a Rotarian and you belong to a Rotary group and you go to that group and say, listen, I'm going to do a fundraiser. We're going to raise money. The money will be made payable to the Rotary. And you put it in a special account that then we can pull from in order to do XYZ nonprofit activity and, or work under a church and do the same thing is that you're going to raise your money through some kind of fundraiser and then put it through the church accounts. But it's got to be where both people really, both organizations really trust each other because you don't want to hand your, your money over to a foundation and then 
them say, oh, well, we want our cut of it, or you not do your part and do what you say you're going to do, because then you would be putting their nonprofit into jeopardy. Right. So who is the right kind of person within a nonprofit to approach about something like this? I just go to the top. (laughs) You know, know, don't waste your time. Just go to the top and say, listen, this is my idea. This is my business plan. This is how we're going to raise the money for this. Will you put us under your umbrella for a year and let us try this out and see if it works? And if it's something that's viable, then you might want to spend the money to start a nonprofit. So when you got started, you said you started back in New York, actually, or you were working Uh, for... No, I was working for an organization for the first cancer camps that I did that was based out of New York. And we had a office in Tampa, and that's how I got into it. Then they closed the doors four years later when I got cancer the second time, and that's when I started my own 501c3. Oh, right. And did you start right away with the camps, or did you start with something smaller? No, I started right away with the camps. I continued the programs that I had been running. I just did it under my own charity and I used $200,000 of my own money. Wow. Which 11 years later is still owed me. (laughs) (laughs) So like I said, unless you got your own money to put behind this or you have someone that's willing to fund you, you might want to start under somebody else's 501c3 and see if this is really what you want to do. It just is my passion. And so to me, it's a a great investment. So if you could go back then to when you were starting up the camps yourself in Tampa and give yourself some advice, what would you tell yourself? Run in the other direction. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it has led over 11 years to many, many sleepless nights of, oh my gosh, are we going to be able to make it through paying for this program? You know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to fundraise? You know, and and the economy has been very, very rough. Just in the state of Florida, 13,000 nonprofits went under in the last four years and close their doors. And so, you know, that is a very real thing when you have people that are depending on you to provide programs. I talk to entrepreneurs on the show and and you're really an entrepreneur within the the nonprofit sector. And so there's so much mindset that goes along with this because for exactly what you said, that there's sleepless nights and it's just uncertain what's going to happen. I mean, you just, you hope it's going to work. You have a plan, you believe it's going to work, but there's those moments. And so what do you do to keep yourself moving forward in times like that? I remember the comments that come from the families that I have hundreds of stories of amazing camper responses to us. And, you know, now that I'm, I'm so many years into this, some of the families that started with me 15 and 16 years ago, when their children were coming to my camps at the ages of two, three, four, and five years old, they're now my counselors. I have 10 counselors at the last kids camp in December who have all been with me over 10 years. And you know what? That's a driving force that we've made such a difference in their lives that that's what gets you out of bed every morning and makes you put on your big girl panties and get out there and bring in the funding to pay for the next program. Mm -hmm. So do you do a lot of fundraising then? Oh, endless. 
It's endless. You know, it isn't all about golf tournaments or fashion shows anymore. It's you just have to get so extremely creative because you're in competition with every other worthwhile charity out there that's trying to keep its doors open. So was that, because I guess fundraising, you really have to put yourself out there. You have to give lots of talks. You have to go pitch people to fund you and ask for the money. Was that hard for you in the beginning or is it something that... No, it's still hard. Is it? <laughs> I always say that my core group, my amazing board of directors and my core volunteers, we call ourselves begging whores <laughs> because that's what we do is we go and we get in front of these people and that was not in my nature growing up. You know, that's just not in my nature. But we also know that we're not doing it for ourselves. This isn't about us. This is about bringing relief and and joy and happiness to cancer patients while we have them here. So you just have to just tell yourself to get on with it, really. And, and just <laughs> you just bite it and you do it. You just do it. Mm-hmm. And so if you had any um, like really massive if it's something you're comfortable sharing, but like, if you had any times you've just really like fallen flat on your face trying to do that and you've just had to like pick yourself back up and. Oh yeah. When you put a lot of energy and work into a fundraiser and it loses money that you can't afford to lose, you're dependent on volunteers to do things. I often say that delegation is just like a boomerang that you delegate a job to somebody to do as a volunteer. And at the very last possible moment, that volunteer boomerang comes back and hits you in the head. And when they haven't done the job and because something else like life got in the way and you don't have any other choice but to do it mm-hmm. and you you don't have any other choice but to be the master of everything when you know what that may not be in your skill set begging for dollars is not in my skill set but it doesn't matter i don't have a choice of going not my job mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to do it no absolutely and i think to me that that reminds me so much of just running your own business and like you have to go ask for the sale no and that's basically what you're doing in fundraising you're going out and asking for somebody to give you money for something and it can be so uncomfortable but that's part of your job as the person steering the ship right yeah i'd love if you have any like tips or advice around that like what have you found effective to go out and get people to buy into this vision that you have You know, I think that the whole thing is just doing the job. You just do the job and then you go out and you talk about the job and how the job affects. So we go out and we run these camps and we go out and we beg for tickets so that people can go to the circus and to the football games and to the hockey games and to the soccer games and to the performing arts. And we do the job. And then when I go out and I'm asked I talk about the job we do. I talk about the people whose lives we changed. And I really share the personal stories of how the campers respond to what we do for them. And you just involve everyone in the story. And once they 
can see the value of what they do. And once you can touch their heartstrings, then they step forward and they want to help. I think what you're saying, a big part of it is that you might feel a bit uncomfortable asking for the money or going out and doing the fundraising. But in the end, it's not about you. And nobody's saying, thinking, oh, is she uncomfortable with it? Or, oh, why is she asking for money? What you're saying is it's all about the transformation that people are getting, the impact that you're making on the world and how other people can help support that vision. And I think, you know, it's so easy to get stuck in our own heads and be like, oh, God, everyone's looking at me. And actually, it's not about you, right? It's about the bigger movement. Yeah, it's not about you at all. And when people try to make it about them, then you're in the wrong business. Mm -hmm. It's not an ego-based business. This, you have to take your ego, chuck it at the door, and it's about other people's stories. And it's just how you, you know, I always think of myself as like a traffic cop. I'm the person that says, you have this skill and I'm going to utilize this skill here. And, and we're probably better at begging in kind than we are actual dollars. We beg about $250,000 worth of in-kind services, whether it is someone coming and doing a free yoga class or someone coming in and teaching something that they generally are paid to do. That's where I think that we excel in is looking at people and saying, oh, you're a grocery store and we need to feed people. And this is the list of products that we need to feed people for a weekend. Can you donate eggs or milk or cereal? And really finding what people have to offer and allowing them to contribute. Awesome. Well, we're getting to the end of our time together, actually, but I have a couple just quick fire questions at the end. If you couldn't do this and run your charity, if you could have some other career, what would you have done? Well, I'm on my third career. And so I started out in banking because that was the family career. And then I was blessed to go into television and became a television producer, which I still do some of that on the side now. I just do stuff that's more oriented to cancer and cancer patients. And so if I wasn't doing this, I'd probably go back into television full time. Mm -hmm. Cool. And do you have any favorite inspiring book or like motivational book or just something that you really love? Because my audience absolutely loves book recommendations. I read a lot of inspirational books. I think that that is what keeps me going is to see people who are down at their lowest level and come back and just and really make it. And you've got to just kind of keep that motivation going. So I'm constantly reading different books. So there's not one that just stands out, but it's really about, for me, visualizing what you want to create and then moving forward and creating it and then selling the dream to other people. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thanks so much, Peggy. Could you let us know your website where people can get in touch with you or if they'd like to learn more about your camps? We'd love to hear from them. It's uh, facesofcourage.org. So it's very easy. Just faces with an S, facesofcourage.org. That's great. And I'll put that link in the show notes too. Thanks so much for joining us today, Peggy. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur Online Podcast. As always, you can get all of the links that we talked about during this episode in the show notes at wellpreneuronline.com slash 59. 
And if you have a question about your wellness business and how to build it online, maybe you have a question about your website or monetization or social media or your email list, you can ask me and I might play your question on the show. All you need to do is go to the show notes, wellpreneuronline.com slash 59. And on the right hand side, there's a black rectangle that says, ask a question. You just click that, you speak into your computer, ask me your question, be sure to mention your website and your name so I know who you are, and I might include it on the air and do a whole episode answering your question. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'd love that. So if you've got a question for me, just hop over to the blog and ask away. Anyway, I hope you have a fantastic week with lots of success in your wellness business, and I look forward to seeing you back here next week with the next episode. 